Well, what I want to do today is I want to look at the birth of Jesus from a different angle. I want to look at it from the life of Joseph, who was Mary's husband. So the white spaces between the Bible verses leave us plenty of room to say, I wonder. I wonder what happened between those lines. For example, I wonder if Adam and Eve had a huge domestic after eating the fruit. I reckon they would have. I mean, the results were catastrophic. They were both in big trouble with God himself, and they had messed up. And I'm sure they would have blamed each other, and who knows how long they argued for. They may still be arguing today. I don't know. I wonder if Moses tried to part the waters again. Who reckons he probably would have tried? I mean, did it once. You know, and he probably told all his friends about it, and they probably said to him, well, Moses, come on, show us again. So he probably tried and no doubt failed, but we don't know what's between the lines, do we? Or I wonder if Peter tried to walk on water again. Who reckons he would have tried? Anyone? About four of us. reckon. I reckon he would have tried, because I reckon he would have boasted about it so much, and his kids would have boasted about it a lot. People would have said, well, come on, Peter. If you really, we don't believe you did it, but if you did, show us again. And Peter would have sunk like anyone else. So did Noah like sailing? Did Jonah ever eat fish again? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us the full story. We just get parts. So let's go to Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 18 to 24, the Birth of Jesus. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, being her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Pause. So an angel turns up to you and says, by the way, your wife-to-be is pregnant. And you're thinking, hello, I can't believe that's happened. And uh, then the angel says, actually conceived by the Holy Spirit. What kind of reaction do you think you would have had? Remember, Joseph's just like you, just like me, normal human being, normal mind processes, normal emotions. He's not a super kind of person that's going to be able to say, oh, cool, God, yep, fully understand, conceived by the Holy Spirit, yep, no problem. Now, he would have had a problem. Would you agree? He would have had major, major questions about all of this. And it goes on. Um, Do not be afraid to take her wife, and she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. Like, okay, God, Savior of the world. Right, all right, okay, keep me on. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child. Never happened before, it's not going to happen again. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. That's a huge statement. 
just obeyed God. I think I would have asked a few more questions and said, excuse me, God, can we just, can you send another angel just to confirm that this is, this is not a fallen angel that I've just heard from? There's not a demonic spirit that's come and telling me this crazy stuff? No, no, he just obeys. He did what the angel commanded him and took him his wife. So there's probably some more questions that Joseph probably asked around the birth of Jesus. For example, the innkeeper who said, sorry, no room. No room. So Joseph thinking, here's the son of God, the savior world about to be born. And now the innkeeper's saying, no room. Like, God, did I, have I got this right? What happened to Joseph? He plays a key role around the birth of Jesus. We expect to see more of him, but the only one further mention of, of Joseph is when Joseph, Jesus is 12 years old. So he kind of disappears off the scene. So how did, Jesus, how did Joseph handle the events around the birth of Jesus? His wife-to-be Mary is pregnant, and the angel appears to him in a dream, tells him the child has been conceived by the Holy Spirit, will be the Son of God, and he's going to save the people from their sins. It's like Joseph would have gone like, What? And then the son is born in a stable, surrounded by smelly animals, donkeys, and straw. It just wouldn't have made a lot of sense, I don't think, to Joseph. And his loneliness, his anguish, his confusion, maybe fear, I wonder if Joseph thought, this is not the way I planned my life to work out. This is not what I expected. Would he have said, Lord, this is really tough to take on board. This is hard to understand and handle. In fact, God, why me? I can imagine those things went through his thought processes. And I wonder if you have ever thought that way. God, this is not how I planned my life to work out. This is not what I expected, God. I don't know about you, but I've certainly asked those questions. And maybe Joseph also wonders the Son of God is born in a stable, not in a temple. There's no parade, there's no banquet, there's no honored guests. And this is the Messiah. Then add to that the birth is five days away from his home. He's not in his hometown in Nazareth, he's now in Bethlehem. So there's no family. There's no grandparents, there's no friends waiting at the door, there's no family, there's no rejoicing. Just none of that happens. And Joseph may well have thought, this just does not seem right. Would he have gone further? I don't know. And said, Lord, have I missed something? I want to suggest that we've all had these thoughts and asked some of these questions. And said, Lord, this is not what I expected. Not the way I thought my life would turn out. And then we add to that. And Lord, I'm a, I'm a follower of yours. I've given my life to serve you. I'm doing my best to do your will. And all of this just really doesn't make a lot of sense to me. 
It's certainly not what I expected. We all have areas of disappointment. I want to say, I think we all have areas of deep disappointment. I talk to a lot of people over all the years, and there's just so many people kind of can't fathom out their life. They can't understand it. They can't comprehend. They can't put the bits of the jigsaw together. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And it wouldn't have made a lot of sense to Joseph, especially at this time. I mean, you think of some of the things he confronted. They were just incredible. Somehow he had to try and passage his way through the whole thing, but I don't think it would have been easy. Did I wonder if Joseph asked the question, did I make a wrong turn somewhere? Have I missed something? Lord, when I made that decision, was that the right decision? Should I have done that? I've asked some of those questions. See, giving my life to Jesus was the most wonderful thing I ever did. It was fantastic. It was a brilliant decision. If I say so myself, it was just incredible. It's, it's the best thing you could ever do. But what I didn't realize that with making the, that decision came some problems that I didn't expect, but it was part of the package deal. For example... When I got married, there was no engagement party. My parents did not come to the wedding, completely opposed, and that was really hard. There was no great family celebration. It's not what I had expected. It's not the way I planned my life out. Then as a Christian, I was... No longer, once I became a follower of Jesus, I was less favored in the family and seen as the black sheep. But in fact, I was really the white sheep. (laughs) Actually, brown to be the truth. (laughs) They got it wrong on every front. Did that suddenly change? No. It continues. It's a challenge, isn't it? Then uh, the Philippines. Missionaries there for three years. And certainly did not work out as we expected. It was a difficult time. And that's an understatement. Jody was born there. And like Joseph of old, no family around, no help, no support. And we struggled. Not the way we planned our child to be born. So lots of questions I had. Lord, did I get something wrong here? Was I meant to go to the Philippines? Was 
that the right decision to make? And if it was, then why was it so difficult and painful at times? Not what I expected. Had I moved outside of the will of God? Well, the truth is, we were in the center of God's will. We had not made a right, wrong turn. And yet we experience these things. See, trouble and problems, suffering, do not mean you're out of God's will. We need to understand that, unless you've done some major sin or something like that. But generally speaking, it's not true. Because if that was true, then Jesus was out of God's will most of the time. Because he was forever suffering, rejected, criticized, persecuted, mocked, spat on. Life was difficult. He had nowhere to lay his head. If, if trouble and uh, suffering meant he was out of the will of God, he was, man, he missed it completely. And we know he didn't. He was in the center of God's will. If trouble and suffering is, means you're out of God's will, it also means Paul, the apostle, was out of God's will most of the time. Because he's the greatest apostle of all time, one of the most fruitful, had the revelation of salvation. And yet, it, virtually every page of his, his books, he's suffering something. He's being persecuted. He's being stoned. He's being dragged out of the city. He's being left for dead. He's, he's in the deep, you know, drowning in the deep, like everything going wrong on every front. And yet we know Paul was in the very heart of God's will. We can add to that King David. He's a good one because he's the man after God's own heart. I mean, he's the worshiper. He's the psalmist. He's the God lover, the God chaser. <laughs> yeah, God chaser, all right. And there's Saul chasing him with javelins and wanting to kill the guy over a decade, running for his life. I mean, David must have thought, Lord, you, you said I'm going to be the king. <laughs> and now the king wants to kill me. I'm running for my life. David went through a hang of a lot of stuff. Was he out of God's will? No, he wasn't. But I'm sure Paul and David said, not what I expected. Yeah. And they had it tough, folks. They had it really tough. The point is this, like Joseph wife of husband of Mary life does not always take the path we expected but I want you to remember something God is always at work in your unexpected that doesn't make it easier okay that doesn't take away the pain but he's at work and he's doing something and he is forever the master of working positive results out of the most Difficult trials, setbacks, and disappointments. Somehow the miracle power of God can work something positive, something good. And you might say, can you give me a scripture for that? I'm glad you asked. Romans 8.28, we know all things. Everyone say all things. All things. I mean, can you put your head around that? All things work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. I can't understand that. And if you presented your problem to me, I'd say, oh, I'm sorry, I can't explain that to you. But all I can say is God's word is true. And that God can work all things together for good 
for all of us who love God and are called according to his purpose. He is the master of that. John 16, 33 says, These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. There it is, right there. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Now, I want to say this a bit carefully because some of you are facing stuff that are, is almost unbearable. But for the others of us, many of us tend to be idealists. We hope for a life on earth that's pretty much free of too much difficulty. Kind of a spiritual utopia. I mean, I know I've been like that. I've always thought, wow, now I'm saved. I'm a Christian. It's going to be this, going to go from glory to glory. And you know, and you read the scriptures, you hear the messages, and you think, wow, it's just going to be so cool. Like a idealism, really. But, and we can feel that that's compatible with being a Christian. You say, well, I'm a follower of Jesus. Surely if anyone's going to have the blessed life, it's, it's got to be us. Christ is with us, he's in us, he's, a, he's powerful, he can do anything, he can work miracles. Man, we're in for the ride of our lives. Unfortunately, not true. It just doesn't quite work that way. Because I think what we're doing is we're making a mistake. We're mistaking earth for heaven. We hope for conditions in this life that will only actually be a reality when we get to heaven what we were created for. We're living in a fallen, sin-sick world. The, you know, the consequences of Adam's sin are catastrophic, and I'll explore this a little bit more in my coming messages today and tomorrow. And I think we underestimate the brokenness of this world. And a broken world breaks people. A messed-up world messes with people, and that includes you and me. We're not exempt, Sorry. If a nuclear bomb take, gets released, it doesn't mean certain people are going to be protected from it all. I mean, it's just the world, and it affects whoever. While on earth, Jesus said, expect troubles in a fallen world. I rang a pastor this week. God just stirred my heart up. I've been planning to ring him for a while, and, and I knew things weren't easy for him. And I, I rang him, and he he said to me, oh, he said, Tuck, he said, I'm, I'm running on empty. I wonder if there's any people like that here today. You, you just, you're done almost. Worn out, stressed out, burnt out, washed out. That's what he felt like. And he's telling me he had some problems with his, you know, and his leadership and issues in the church. And it was really hard for him. And I could hear as he spoke to me, I could hear these words, Tuck. This is not what I expected. I never thought it would be like this. And you know, when you become a pastor or do something like what I do, you kind of think, well, you know, maybe things will be different. No, it's not different for anyone. <laughs> We're really all in the same boat. So I was able to pray with him, and he was really encouraged, and uh, he's got a few weeks off, and uh, I must admit, after I finished that phone call, that was a highlight of my week, just trying to help a person passage through not what I expected. Many people missed the coming of the Messiah that they had waited for centuries because he didn't come as expected, and so they missed the whole deal. And so with the unexpected, we can miss God in it. 
if we're not careful. You see, he was, didn't come as a king. He wasn't born into royalty or in a palace. There was no great fanfare. There was no great, he wasn't among the rich and famous. What, all the things you expect, there's in fact almost the opposite. He was born a helpless baby who couldn't even speak. I love the way in his book, Cosmic uh, Christmas, Max Licato describes it like this. In fact, I got some of these thoughts from him, by the way. He says, do you know who you hold, Mary? He who is ageless is now moments old. Think about that. Jesus has been there for eternity. <laughs> he's millions, billions of years old now. In a moment, he's brand new baby. Like, wow, that is just incredible. He goes on and says, he who strides upon the stars now has legs too weak to walk. The incarnation, Jesus becoming flesh in a man, is beyond comprehension, folks. The birth of Jesus is something of such magnitude. We, we probably comprehend it, maybe not even 1% of what it means. That's why I love Christmas. I'm always after a greater revelation of Jesus and who he was and what he did and his birth and what it meant and what it cost him. The hands which held the oceans are now infants' fists. Listen to this one. The source of language will learn words from you. So Mary would be teaching Jesus how to talk. The living word himself <laughs> now can't speak. Oh, gosh. Are you with me? It's incomprehensible. The incarnation, the birth of Jesus. That's why it just captures the world's attention. I think there's just something in it. They can't fathom it. They can't understand it. How do you get billions of people celebrating something they know nothing about? Because there's something about it. There's just something about that name of Jesus. He continues, he who never stumbled, you carry. Wow. He who never hungered, the creator of all things, you will feed. The humility of Christ, the humility of Jesus in becoming man and flesh, and not only that, a baby, is mind-boggling to say the least. This is the greatest story ever told. It'll never be outdone by anything ever. He finishes it by saying, the king of creation is in your arms, not as anyone expected. Yet how many of you agree God was in the unexpected? So how do you handle the unexpected? I probably don't really know. But I want to throw out some thoughts that I trust may help you. The first thing is we have to learn to live with the unexpected until hopefully God delivers us from it. He may not. We have to learn to live with it. But I want to say in the meantime, pray for grace to endure them because problems patiently endured will work for our spiritual progress and blessing. God can work good in it as we handle it rightly. The only 
way that these problems and trials and disappointments and hurts can harm us is if we resist them or we develop bad attitudes. Once we have bad attitudes, it's all downhill from there. It's a slippery slope into an abyss, quite frankly. Right attitudes is the key. So would you tell the person nice and loud on the other side of you, right attitude. Now, if I asked you to say to the person next to you, here's $50, you would have heard a buzz throughout this whole place, like something crazy. But right attitude is like, right attitude, because I haven't got one. (laughs) A right attitude gives supernatural grace and strength to get through the most difficult challenges. There's something about it that is just so powerful. Then look for God in the unexpected, because he is there. This is the teaching of Scripture. With Joseph, David, Paul, me, God was in the unexpected. He was at work. It may not make sense this side of eternity, and some things won't, because all our questions, I'm sorry to say, folks, will not be answered. God is not under any obligation to answer all my questions. If I was to ask him some things about the Philippines, he's probably going to say, Tuck, just get on with it. And some things we just got to leave in what I call in a mystery box and say, okay, God, I'll wait till you decide to explain that to me or until I get to the other side. Because I believe, friends, if we keep asking some questions for too often and too long, it's a dangerous thing. Because we just, we just go deeper and deeper into confusion, doubt, and fear. We keep asking. Sometimes you just got to say, God, I don't understand that one, but hey, I just leave it in your hands. That's one way to handle the unexpected because, you know, To me, one word stands out above all others. It's a word called trust. Do you know the middle verse of the Bible is trust in the Lord? Put your trust in God. That's the middle verse. That's almost like God saying, hey, if you want to put everything to the side, if you want to boil it all down to one thing, trust. Just trust me. With whatever's happening in your life, just trust me. It's an incredibly powerful thing, and it pours great grace and strength into our lives. Some of us need to stand in the mirror each morning and say, God, I trust you. God, I trust you. I don't understand this. I'm disappointed. I'm hurt. I'm disillusioned. I'm afraid. It seems so unfair. It seems so wrong. But God, I trust you. And I think that will make a huge difference in all of our lives, in yours and in mine. Matthew 123, they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. In the midst of your confusion, your doubts, God is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He is with you forever. He can comfort you and strengthen you. When you can't sense God or feel his presence, you know, you're searching for God. God, where are you? I can't see you anywhere. I can't feel you. I want us to just look for him somewhere else. What do I mean by that? Well, you can look for him in creation, in the sunset. In the flowers, because God is right there. See, I, from time to time, buy buy flowers for Adrian. (laughs) I do. That's that's truth, all right? I buy flowers for Adrian. Husbands, are you hearing? Clearly. Flowers for your wife. All right? Happy wife, happy life. (laughs) Get it right. Thank you for those five claps. 
All the claps were from women, I know. But listen, we've got some yellow gerberas. If you don't know what they are, they're flowers. So we get these flowers, and we've got some sitting on their bench right now, about five of them. I bought them. Cost a lot of money, too. So we look at, seriously, we look at the flowers together. We do it regularly. You, you look at a flower, the, the, the formation, the intricate detail of each part of it. I mean, thousands of bits and pieces. You, it goes right in the center and then out a bit and out a bit. And we just, we look at it and we marvel. And we both say to ourselves, there's creation. There's God's presence right there with us in our home. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He is with you always. Look for him in the unexpected places. Then claim Jeremiah 29 verse 11, which says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Friends, despite the past, despite the unexpected, God's word says to you today, this Christmas season, his plans for your future are good plans. They're to give you a future and a hope. Let that fill you with hope with this, this Christmas. Take a stand of faith. Even though everything else says no, believe God's word who says his future for you is a good future, a prosperous future, one to fill you with hope. If you've asked the questions that Joseph may have asked, then do what Joseph did. And what did he do? He obeyed God. Even in the midst of confusion, doubt, and fear, he still obeyed God. Matthew 1, 24, then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. So he obeyed God. Even though it made no sense, he still obeyed God. Then Matthew 2, 13 to 40, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt. And stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek, to seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. Joseph was obedient to God. He didn't let the unexpected, he didn't let the disappointments, he didn't let the pain disrupt his obedience and his serving God. He served God when it made sense. He served God when it didn't make sense. He served God in the good times. He served God in the bad times. He served God in the light. He served dark in the, in the darkness. He obeyed God. And that's what we all need to do, folks, even when we don't understand. Joseph didn't understand all that was going on, but he still obeyed God. Packed up his family and headed to another country. He did what God told him to do. Let's do what God tells us to do, even if it makes no sense, even if it's in the midst of the unexpected. Let's press on towards the mark and fulfill all that God has called us to do. See, Joseph's task, his task was just to help bring Jesus into the world. And he fulfilled that task. He brought Jesus into the world, literally. Our task is the same as to see that Jesus is brought into our part of the world, wherever it is, because Joseph obeyed. God used him to change the world. And God still looks for Josephs today who he will use to change the world. Those who obey him and serve him even when life has not turned out as they expected. A wealthy man and a son that he loved collected rare artworks. Picasso, Raphael, Others. The son went to Vietnam, went to the war there, and he lost his life in saving others. 
The father was deeply grieved, hurt, and wounded. Life had not turned out as he expected. Some of you would have read in the paper just today that taxi driver, I think 24-year-old or something like that, killed in this car that hit him, leaving behind a young wife and a child that was not even one years old. She'll be right now thinking, not what I expected. The world is full of this, friends. This fallen world delivers things that none of us at times want. One day a man turns up with a large package in his arms and he says, I'm the man your son died to save my life. Would have been an incredible moment, wouldn't it, where the father meets the person that was saved through the death of his own son. It would be incredibly powerful. But in this package is this incredible painting of, his, of the man's son. And the father was so proud of it, so proud of his son. He hung the portrait on, a, on the mantle and he showed the guests, whenever he had guests, he showed them all this photo of his son, his lost son before he would show them any of the other paintings of Picasso and Raphael and all the rest of them. Anyway, the old man died and the famous paintings were to be auctioned and a lot of people gathered together. It was really exciting. People wanted to get a hold of these famous paintings. So they started with the portrait of the son and the father proudly uh, had wanted that one to be sold first. And there's, but there's no interest uh, in this one and the people were getting angry because they wanted to get to the famous paintings. But the auctioneer continued, he kept saying, he said, the son, the son, who will take the son? And finally, a long-time gardener of the father and the son, he thought, well, I'll buy this thing at $10. He offered the auctioneer, tried to get more, but the guy was quite poor, so he couldn't get anything more. And so it was sold for $10. Everyone expected the auction to continue, but, and they waited for the famous paintings to come out, but the auctioneer said that the auction is over. They all protested, and he told them, the will stated, whoever bought the painting of the son would inherit the entire estate and all the paintings. The man who took the son got everything. 2,000 years ago, God gave his son, Jesus, for each of us. Like the insignificant painting, he was despised and rejected. But God's message today to you and to me is this, the son, the son. Who will take the son? Because whoever takes the son gets everything. Ultimately. Life may not have turned out as you expected, as you had hoped. There's disappointments, there's pain, there's hurt, there's the unexpected. Maybe you have questions and you're still searching for light in the night. God's word to you this Christmas is if you have taken the sun or if you take the sun today, you ultimately get everything. You may not get all your desire in this life on earth, but when these years are over, there'll be waiting for you a life more wonderful 
than could ever be described. And everything will make sense. Even the unexpected will make sense. Will all make sense. Every heart's desire will be yours. The struggles of life on earth will be a distant memory. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9. Eyes not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Every heart's desire, a life beyond comprehension. The son, the son. Who will take the son? For whoever takes the son ultimately gets everything. God bless you.